0: Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to begin reading in verse 23, and we'll read multiple verses down through this section. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 23. Now remember the Lord Jesus has been giving a picture here of the perilous times, and the context of this is there's a near future perilous time that the generation of the disciples uh, and, and some of those following will, will see these perilous times. That's the near future. And then you see uh, a trickling in of the idea of the far future uh, and the second coming of Christ as we get into verses 29 through 31. And then there's a movement into a parable in confirmation of things that the Lord Jesus has already Uh, already been teaching. So verse 23. Then, after this desolation, after this great tribulation of the destruction of Jerusalem, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, If possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In those days after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was much great work that was done the Holy Spirit was revealed in a way that he had not been revealed before. Although he had been doing his work in all of space and time and history, he was revealed in a very special way on the day of Pentecost. Many gathered to hear the disciples preach and they were gathering from all the different regions of the world at the time. And as they gathered, they heard this preaching of the gospel, but each one heard it in their own known language. The Jew who was from Phrygia and spoke mainly Phrygian heard the gospel in Phrygian, although the apostle was speaking in Hebrew the glory of the gospel being put forth and everyone from these regions hearing it in their own known tongue. That was the glorious days of the Pentecost and yet there was great tribulation all around. We read in the book of Acts of the difficulties of the Jews in those days even so much so that they had been under great famine and there were churches that were taking up Offering, so to speak, that they could provide for the Jews back in Jerusalem and those who were believers in the church in Jerusalem were taking on those offerings because there was a great famine in the land. Great distress, great trouble was all around them. The Roman Empire had not been gracious because the Jews had always been the ones putting Prick in their side, putting that spear in their side, poking the bear, so to speak. The more the Jews rejected what the Romans wanted them to do, the more the Romans put on top of them. Even so much so that they began in their own governorships to take away the rights of the Jews to name their own priests in the temple. The days of that great distress, the Jews were having to watch either a Jew who was named by Rome or sometimes a Jewish quasi Gentile be the high priest in their temple. Can you imagine it? I mean, to the to the real, serious, thoughtful Jew about their heritage. That's blasphemy. This pales in comparison, but it will give you a good illustration maybe. Maybe you've seen a movie or a TV show where there's a character who's supposed to be a Southerner, but you have some Yankee, whom I love, (laughs) you have some Yankee try to give a Southern accent, And you're thinking, that's the worst acting job ever. What it sounds like to you when Southerners talk, and then now you put it on TV that every one of us goes, well, however, (laughs) you That's not how we talk as Southerners. And you have to watch that movie, and the whole time you're thinking, this is blasphemy! (laughs) Now, it doesn't really totally compare, but you get the idea. It would be much like to the British, the American trying to put on a British accent. How dare they do that? Well, imagine the Jews having to watch these Roman-appointed high priests do the temple service. Rome was now dictating to them How worship was to be done. There were numerous Jews in that day of the zealots who hated such things. And they would continually try to poke the bear. And there was a time in 66 AD where Rome got tired. Rome got tired of being poked by a little group along the Mediterranean. They got tired of hearing the griping and the complaining. I'm not saying Rome was right. I'm just telling you what was happening. They got tired. And eventually, the bear pounced on the rabbit. And it was over. In a matter of years, Rome's power moved in on Jerusalem in such great ways that just as Luke said or recorded from the Lord Jesus that the city of Jerusalem was surrounded. The outer walls of the city were taken first. First. And after they had the northern wall and they were able to bust through and they pushed all the people back inside the inner wall, they began to break through the inner wall. They fought in the temple court itself. Thousands of Jews were killed in the very temple court itself. They were repelled for a little while and pushed back out of the inner walls, and then they decided to invade from that northern inner wall and from that western wall. And they came across in droves, and they squeezed the Jews out to the very last one of them was killed. Or maybe, maybe, maybe they were taken into slavery. after Jerusalem was literally destroyed and the temple was brought down to rubble, over the next two years from A.D. 70 to A.D. 72, Rome would finish the job. Every pocket that was left, even Masada, the place that they thought no one could take it, Masada was taken. Vespasian was proud of his son, Titus was able to march back to Rome as a great victor. The Jews had been put down and put down for good. Those days after Jerusalem was destroyed were very, very, very dark days. Can you imagine? knowing that most of your family was killed, maybe a few had been put into slavery, in the outer regions of Judea, in the regions all along the Mediterranean where Jews had been dispersed all over what was Eastern Europe at some point. And they're hearing the news. Generations of generations completely snuffed out. for those who were left in and around Judea to see the smoke rising from the city. It gives us a picture of verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after that destruction of Jerusalem, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. If you were taking notes last week, you got to number four. Number five, Christ warned them of dark days following the destruction of Jerusalem. Christ warned them of dark days following the destruction of Jerusalem. These were near future dark days. They will cloud the scene in Jerusalem. There will be literal smoke rising from the city. There will be famine all around. There was already a famine because they had snuffed out the people of Jerusalem and surrounded the city that no food could get in. Some died before they even invaded of starvation. If you know anything about military movement and about war in those days especially, armies when they invaded, they would take every piece of available food and everything that they needed from surrounding cities and towns as they went through them and often leave the people with nothing. For an army had to be fed. Grown men fighting had to be fed and taken care of. After that desolation were dark days for the people of Israel. Not only had they been starved out and the city been destroyed, but now they would live in starvation. You can't restore crops like that immediately. You can't restore your livelihood like that immediately. We think very little of some of these things today because some major hurricane comes through and within a couple of years a city or a town is restored, often in our modern day. But if you've seen places where these storms have wiped out certain cities and towns, some of them never come back completely. Immediately after that desolation of AD 70, it was as though the sun was darkened and the moon will not give its light. It's like the stars fell from the sky. Nothing like it had they ever seen or could they have imagined. Some of you were witness to the tornadoes that hit our area last year in January. Some of you lived through it, some of you saw the aftermath. Some of you know they've still been working to clear some areas months and months after the tornado went through. Can you imagine whole areas being destroyed by the Roman army and the kind of difficulty and the type of tribulation that the people of Israel had to live through? You don't just return your lives back after something like this next week. It's not like sending your car to get the brakes fixed and you get it back three or four days later and you go on about your life. He says, but immediately after the tribulation, that tribulation speaking of that most awful time of the destruction of Jerusalem. The reason I think here he's specifically speaking of this tribulation of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 is that phrasing immediately after. He's not speaking totally right here of the second coming because if he were, we would know in the second coming immediately after the second coming of Christ is the judgment, but there's no darkness after his second coming for he brings in the new heavens and the new earth. After Christ returns the second time and the judgment takes place, The new heavens and the new earth are brought forward. And there's not a darkness in that sense. For Christ will reveal his full reign and his people will reign with him for eternity. But here, this is speaking of something right then and there before them. It's a near future context. Think for a moment. Following that destruction on AD 70, and remember, we're looking at a period of years here, something that started gradually in AD 66. It picked up tempo and went full bore in AD 68, and by AD 70, everything was pretty much destroyed and moved away, and they finished it off by AD 72. We're looking at six years of this happening Thousands upon thousands of Jews were dead, men, women, and children. Judea was completely under Roman rule. They thought it was bad before. It was really bad then. Jerusalem and the temple were completely trampled and destroyed by the Roman army. Everything they held dear in politics, religion, and way of life was torn away from them. I'd say that's pretty dark. I'd say that would be like the stars had fallen from the sky. That's an apocalyptic thing that just happened. I'm not trying to play politics here by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's the understanding of what it would be like if our country was completely taken over by another nation. If everything was just completely trampled down and we were taken over completely by another nation, what would that be like to us? Wouldn't you say that would be pretty dark? The Jews are living through that in AD 70. The Lord Jesus is telling them. He's telling them. It's 30 or so years away, 35 years away, Now, they don't know it's 35 years away. He has some understanding of that in the context, but he's telling the near future, it's coming. You need to be alert. You need to be ready. But it also gives a context that there has to be something near future to what's being taught here because look at verse 30. And then, we've got another timeline here. We, When you see that word, then, verse 15, therefore, verse 16, then, verse 21, for then, verse 23, then, verse 29, but immediately after, verse 30, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. We're given an indication that although the ascension of Christ is a coronation and it is marvelous and wonderful, that dark days are somewhat still on the horizon. There's the near future dark days that will cloud the scene in Jerusalem. And then there's the far future dark days which will continue as the kingdom of heaven is being revealed through the church. Why do we have to say that some dark days are still continuing? Well, notice here in verse 30, it says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. I think this is a real far future reference to the second coming of Christ. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. At this time, not all those tribes are mourning. Matter of fact, there's quite a few tribes that are going, Yeah, we got them Jews finally. We nailed them jokers. We put them down. We got them now. They are on the mat, and they are down and out for the count. It's over. But there's a coming day when all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll mourn because they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now, I want to note several things. These dark days are not like the times before Christ's incarnation. The darkest days have been before the time of Christ's incarnation because the sun had not been revealed in any way. Not in the fullness. There was the message of the prophets, but mostly that was going out to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That was not going out to the whole of the world or to the tribes of the earth in a way that it will, and it did after the ascension of Christ, and it did after the day of Pentecost, and it continued to do so. The darkest of times were before the incarnation of Christ. If you read history before the incarnation of Christ, it is, I mean, things can be really difficult and bad today, but that history is really, really awful. If you don't think Christianity has impacted the world in, a, in a, a very positive way, then you don't understand the history of the ancient world. You ladies think you might be treated bad, some of you now? Uh, you go live in Persia. You go live in the Persian Empire and see how you were treated. You were nothing but a slave. You are nothing but a piece of property some of that still go on in some countries and places today to some degree? Yeah, it can still happen. But I'm telling you right now, before the incarnation of Christ, the ancient world was literally dark. Dark. Child sacrifice was rampant in cultures. And even somehow today, in, because we're modernized, We don't see much about child sacrifice. I would say to you that's because of the coming of the kingdom. But even though Christ reigning, there's still a darkness in these days. If there weren't a darkness in these days, then wouldn't we see all of the tribes of the earth gathering in the glory of Christ? These dark days, after that tribulation, these dark days where the kingdom has come into its newness in covenant. They reveal more of Christ's kingdom, but not with full and final light. That's coming at his second coming. That's coming when all the tribes of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. These dark days will still have some dimness as believers will not see Christ as He truly is. There has to be some darkness to the days that we're even living in now because we've not seen Christ in His fullness. And that's a promise through the scripture. Paul wrote about it. We see him dimly now, right? But there is a day we will no longer see him dimly. So there's still some darkness to these days. Not only will we not have seen Christ as he truly is, that is yet to come, but sin will still be the presiding human inclination on earth. I think we can see that sin still is a presiding inclination in our daily lives, right? Don't you work in situations where you see the fruit of sin being worked out in front of you quite often? As I said to you all last week, even in our own country, a country founded on Christian principles to a large degree, we have a government now that Pretty much most of our government workers have no problem fueling just plain lies to the whole of the country. It's just a bunch of garbage. You can't just keep printing money and printing it and printing it and handing it out and it have no economic effect on a country. You and I know that in our own houses. If they allowed me to print money, which they don't, what will they do to me if I print money? Huh? It's called jail. But if they allowed me to print money, and I had a money printer in my house, and I just kept printing money and I walked around handing out all this money, eventually what would happen? The value of that money would go... And I would be flooding the system. If hundreds of thousands of people are just printing money and throwing it into a system, eventually the economic system is going to go. But you're going to tell me, it's not a problem. We just print all the money we want to print. Lie. That is a lie. Why do they do it? Because they're sinners. And they have an agenda from their sinful inclinations. But you know what? We're no different. We do things in our own world, in our own homes, based on sinful inclination. Sin is still a part of this world. Even though Christ came, he was born of the Virgin Mary, he lived a perfect life, he died a sinner's death, he was raised on the third day, and he ascended to be with the Father, sin is still here. So it's a darkness to these days. There is a darkness to that near future event of the destruction of Jerusalem there were darkness there was darkness immediately following the destruction of Jerusalem that the people of Jerusalem lived through and there's an ongoing darkness that's still there because the kingdom is not in its fullness we even think about this from the context of Paul writing to the Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6, Paul wrote, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would not overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Now, it's interesting. You say, what in the world does that have to do with any of this? Notice how Paul is writing to who? He's writing to the church in Thessalonica, a body of believers. And he's saying to those believers, You, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. He's saying, When the return of Christ comes, you won't be in the same darkness that the world is in. But what is he saying about those who are not in Christ? They're still in darkness. There is still some darkness on this earth because that's the reality of what will happen when Christ returns. Those in darkness, they will not see it. But he says, you, you be alert because you're not in the darkness. He's making a differentiation in the kingdom itself. Those who are in the kingdom of heaven, those who are Christ, those who are in the church at large, you don't walk in darkness. You don't walk in darkness. Now he backs that up in verse 32 when he says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Near future, far future context. One is he's saying to the Jews, Hey, be alert. Be watching, pay attention, for there's going to be a coming day where all this around you is going to be destroyed, and you need to really think and be paying paying attention so you don't run back to the city. Remember, remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, the last couple weeks. You don't run back to the city. You don't waste time to flee. You look at the signs and realize, oop, Rome's coming. Rome's a coming. Daniel wouldn't have understood Rome, but Jesus did. And Jesus' disciples understood Rome because they had been dealing with Rome. So there's the near future context. He says, hey, just like a fig tree in the springtime, and and y'all know this, right? When you go walking through the woods in the winter and you start kind of, popping sticks and limbs off a tree in the winter. A lot of times those limbs are what? They're hard, right? You can just crack them. Now, if it's still alive, it'll be still in contact with the tree. If it's already dying, it'll what? It'll break off. But in the winter, you go to twisting on those tree limbs. He says, well, remember that. In the springtime, what happens? It starts to tender up. Why? Because new leaves are going to come through. He's saying, it's going to be near, it's going to be soon, it's going to be right there in front of you. So it will be of far future times. We need to be alert and be ready. Be thinking about what it means to be prepared for the coming of Christ. We have to recognize that we will live in the darkness of our times. The fullness of the kingdom has not yet come. There was the darkness that they would have to deal with, which was coming to them in a near future sense. There was the darkness after the destruction of Jerusalem. And there is, in some sense, there is still the context of the darkness that is around on this earth today. Has all sin been abolished? This means no. This means yes. Has all sin been abolished? No. Has it been abolished in you? No. Has it been abolished in the world? No. There's still some darkness, it's a difficult place to live. And yet Paul says to us, we don't live as unbelievers, we live with hope. First of all, we have a hope that in the darkness, there's a coming day where the light will shine and take all the darkness away. This is what the Lord Jesus says to them in verse 30. He says, the Son of Man will come on the clouds with power and great glory. Now we spoke last week and we know that the son, the Lord Jesus was saying that he would come at a future time but that future time was not the destruction of Jerusalem because the Lord Jesus tells them in verses 23 to 26 that if they tell you that I'm coming at the time of the desolation and that's where I am, don't listen because I'm not there. But he leaves them with hope, doesn't he? Because he says although I'm not coming then And if they tell you I'm here, I'm not here. I am coming. And when he comes, all the tribes of the earth will be gathered. And why would all the tribes of the earth mourn if there were not real judgment when he comes? Was the destruction of Jerusalem a form of judgment? Yes. Was it the final judgment? No. But it was a form of judgment. Even in speaking to a couple of our young men last week, recognizing this is a foreshadowing. When you see the destruction of Jerusalem foretold and then it happens in time, it's a foreshadowing of the cataclysmic event that will take place when Christ does return. When he comes back, We need to be thankful that although we still have darkness in our days, these dark days will have the light of the gospel. It's one of the great things. Although there's darkness around us, we have the light of the gospel. We talked about this morning about that message from Hebrews about the high priest. You and I can walk and live every day in hope. And we don't hope in something in the sense of worldly hope. Oh, I hope this happens. No, we have hope knowing it will, because the Scripture teaches that it will. We're walking in the light of the gospel. We're walking in the light of the new covenant in these dark, difficult days. And we're walking in the light of the gospel in the new covenant going forth into the whole of the world. Look back at verse 14 in Matthew 24. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then end will come. Had the gospel gone out to all of the whole world in any other time period? No. This is why this near future, far future is so important. Because from the book of Acts, we know that the gospel went out to the known world before the destruction of Jerusalem. That's the power of the new covenant going forth. What's even more amazing in a far future context is that after the destruction of Jerusalem, the gospel still continued to go forward and moved further and further and further. So much so that one historic writer said, by the middle of the 2nd century, it was being said by Justinius that, quote, there is not a race of men on the earth among whom converts to the Christian faith cannot be found. By the third and fourth century, numerous quotes like this are made by early church fathers that the gospel had gone out to the races of men in the whole of the earth. Some of you say, well, why does that matter? Well, it matters because the new covenant's going forward, right? The promise is made that all tribes and tongues will be in the kingdom of heaven. All different types of people from all different types of tribes and tongues. Will every single African person be converted? No. Will every single white European person be converted? No. But among the body of Christ in the kingdom will be people like that. From all the different types and uh, tongues and nations, the gospel is proclaimed and these people are converted. Well, it will be encouraging to you that historians of the day recognize that this was the case and it was the truth. Christianity so much so was having an impact on the whole of the world that you have major world leaders trying to understand the gospel and put it in context. We see it in the day of Paul, right? Paul, it, before the destruction of Jerusalem, he's brought before Agrippa. After the destruction of Jerusalem... You see someone like Constantine having to deal with the gospel. Now, I won't get into all that because there's all kind of questions about Constantine and was it a true conversion and was it this and was it that and we can have all those debates and I've got articles you can read and you got articles I can read. But the fact of the matter is Constantine, the ruler of one of the greatest empires of the whole of the world, is trying to consider who Jesus Christ is. And really that's been no different throughout the ages. Go into every subsequent time in history and major rulers are all having to deal with who Christ is. Even in a time of the influx of Muhammad and the Islamic religion. The Islamic religion is built on a backbone of Jewish history and the context of who Jesus is. And they were having to deal in Islam with who is Jesus. Now, they came out with the wrong answer, but they were having to deal with it. And all of these kings and kingdoms and rulers were having to deal with this. You say, yeah, but what about the Far East? That's not really that hard. Why is it that in the Far Eastern countries... Christians have been martyred for centuries. Why have they been persecuted? If Jesus is not a problem in these far eastern countries and in places where there are dictatorships, why are they killing them? Because these rulers are having to ask the question about who Jesus is and they don't want another king. They want to be king. I know it's warm in here. There will to be a little excitement, right? The Scripture is true. The rulers of the earth are having to consider who Christ is throughout all the ages. They're having to deal with that reality. The truths of the Bible have been going out and out, and rulers of nations are having to go, well, what am I going to do with this Jesus? Sadly, a lot of them come up with wrong answers. But the Scripture tells us that too. Jesus foretold that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached in the whole of the world. Speaking, it would go out to the cosmos. That word world, the cosmos, the whole of it. This is why Christ's ascension is so important. Think about it for a moment. Christ ascending from this earth into the sky and they saw him? No king's ever done that. He's ruling and reigning over the whole of the cosmos, and yet there's still darkness in these days because his second coming has not happened. But he promises here that it will come, and he promises you and I need to be ready, and we need to be thinking, we need to be looking and saying, you know what? Is that limb on that fig tree, is it tender? It means every day of our lives counts. I, I admit to you, there there are days of my life. I, I, I mean, I, I, I hate to even admit it, but you kind of. I just. I, I go through the motions. It's another day. I woke up. I'm going to eat my egg whites and my turkey sausage with my cup of coffee. My family knows. They say you're boring, Dad. It's what I, it's what I do every day. I get up, I eat the same thing, I drink the same cup of coffee, I take the coffee down to my study, and I begin my day, and I do the same thing. I have my planned days, Tuesday through Saturday. I have my schedule. I do what I do. Unless something interrupts it, um, I do what I do. And there are days I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to do what I do. Not thinking about, am I preparing my mind, am I preparing my heart for the coming of Christ? Does this day count? Does it matter? Is what I'm going to do today, is it going to be to the glory of Christ? Am I going to say in my mind, even though I'm in this little house and this little place in Jackson, Georgia, and most people don't know I'm there in this study, and most people don't know or even care that I'm there? They don't even know Brandon Smith. They don't want to know Brandon Smith. He does not matter to them. Is this day going to count for Christ, for his glory? at your job, at your school, at your home. It does matter. Moms, when you're picking Cheerios up off the floor, it matters. You're doing it for the glory of Christ when you change that diaper. He's saying, be ready, be ready. It's a reminder to all of us that preparation is never a small thing. In closing, number one, preparation is never a small thing. Are you preparing your mind and heart for the coming of the Lord? Or even for the day that he calls you home before he returns, maybe? Are you preparing your heart and mind for that? Are you, number two, preparing your heart and mind in thanksgiving for God's grace to you? Now, we just saw baptism this morning. We all gave thanks. Look at what the Lord has done. And I'm like that. That's exciting stuff. God took a dead heart and made it alive. Do we live our life that way, though? Are you going to get up tomorrow and live your life saying, What a glorious day. God took my dead heart, made it alive, and he gave me another day to live and breathe that I may give him glory in all that I do and say. Preparation is not a small thing. Preparation for the grace of God is important in everything we do. As we go, continue to go through these passages. This idea of being ready, being alert, being watchful. It's going to be an important one. And you're going to hear me say things that you say, he's already said that. You know why I'm saying it? A, because the scripture teaches it in repetition. You know why the scripture teaches it in repetition? Because God knows our human plight. You and I need repetition. I'm thankful Dana didn't take one course on how to be an emergency room nurse. He took that one course uh, 30 years ago. He's never thought anything else about it. He just had the one, and they told him what he needed to know. And now he just, 30 years later, the one course. You're always learning. You're always having to learn something. I'm thankful if he's going to stick a needle in my arm, he's done it multiple times. I'm thankful that these people have an idea of what they're doing. Ed didn't just start working on a patient's joints yesterday. He's had practice. Did he practice on some other people? Yes, he did. But he's had practice. You and I need that same repetition of the gospel in our hearts and minds every day and every week. You get up tomorrow, pain, hurt, frustration, whatever it may be tomorrow when you wake up. The gospel is still real in the dark days, right? you get up tomorrow and it just doesn't seem like the difficulty will end is your hope in the gospel of christ or are you preparing yourself for the way you're going to deal with the day because you've got it all figured out preparation is no small thing and preparation in grace is of the utmost importance let's pray Heavenly Father, what mercy you've granted to us in grace through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are undeserving of your grace. And yet you sent your Son to die for sinners. May we glory in him alone today. Even though we know troubling times are always a part of this life may we remember the hope of the gospel and that one day all things will be set straight. But before you set them straight, Lord, will you make our hearts moldable? Will you give us soft hearts of flesh that we will bow the knee to your son Christ and repent and believe in him? By the power of your spirit, will you continue to grow our minds and hearts? That we will walk in the light of your word, that our hearts would stay soft to the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, not to become so cynical that we forget your grace and mercy. May we glory in you alone through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.